look, no one expected anything to go the way it did. Holy shit. You know, when I pitched this podcast. It's just supposed to be about regular comedy shit. It was there. It was just basically, hey, let's talk about the green room and how you shouldn't walk in there as a new comic and act like you own it and rub sardines on your balls and stink up the whole place and and intercept conversations that established comics who are booked are doing. We had no idea that the world would be shut the fuck down. When I agreed to do this podcast and Paper House told me, yes, this sounds great, look into it, I didn't realize that, what, 29 episodes in, I'd be talking to you about how the creek and the cave has closed and now it's the second fatality that's been brought up on this pod, and that the exodus is here. I didn't think I'd be recutting this episode because I had static issues with the mic, and that I did a lot of allusions uh, and metaphors to Who songs about places closing, and that I'd be frustrated that I couldn't use that episode that was very heartfelt and I'd have to record in a house where other people are recording pods and there's a lot of chaos. But we're fucking doing it, everybody, because these are the cards we're dealt. That's what it is. I'm recording this pod because you all come here and listen because you trust me. And you're allowed to be who you are. You're allowed to be a comic. You're allowed to be a green comic, an older comic, a super young comic, few years in, a lot of years in, whatever it is, dog, just a fan. Some of you are just like those creeps who just like to watch. Good for you, buddy. This place, this pod is here for you. And that's why I want to talk about the sadness of places closing and the sadness of the creek in the cave. This creek in the cave was there for you, for us as comics. Young comics cut their teeth there, got on stage a lot, a lot, a million times in a week. But bunch of open mics between the two stages they had upstairs, the main room, the small room that was locked in like a plastic plexiglass, like it was the Pope Mobile. They had a podcast studio in the back. There was opportunities to cut your teeth and opportunities as a young performer to work with established comics. It was also an opportunity for comics who had gone on to other things in the industry, writing and producing or whatever, who had been gone for, I've seen five years, I've seen 10 years, I've seen decades, come back and try to get their sea legs back, performing there and hanging out with comics with younger comics, learning where the new thought process was and who was coming up and being inspired by people who were a generation or two behind them. This was a great place to go after you bombed somewhere else or you bombed on the road or you started to get booked for somewhere great and you just wanted to express your joy and to go and have a drink and look at all the young faces and know that you were that person once and now you're starting to do something. That was a place for you. As I'm recording this, Rebecca Trent, the owner, is clearing the place out with some volunteers. I'm in PA. I cannot help. I haven't been there in months and I'm sad that I don't get to give it a proper farewell and purpose. So I'm doing it now. And if it sounds self-serving or if you don't like the creek, cool. We'll see you next week or never again. But I want to talk about this place because I think it will be talked about years to come. Because it had 
an X amount of years. This isn't the improv in LA or the store, the seller out here. This was a basically a 14-year run. It was a mad dash of wonderful comedic madness, a place for the broken toys, the lost toys to go and hang out, where people became something after years of gutting it there. Some people were overnight sensations. This was a beautiful place to work. It wasn't ideal all the time, and sometimes you were playing to two civilians, and one was someone who you've seen at everyone else's shows. What's up, Greg? And the back of the room was full of comics on their cell phones. And if you get a laugh out of them, it counted. It wasn't ideal at times, but it was something. It was a place to go with like-minded people. Everyone was different. There was different styles. There was different energies. But we all were united by one thing, comedy. And the people who went there were searching for comedy. There was hardcore fans who loved that venue. It felt real. It was punk rock. The Creek was kind of the CBGBs of the comedy scene in New York City, and it will be forgotten. There was a rawness. There was an edge. There was a danger. That place was fucking dangerous. I was at the Creek one night for the Legion of Skanks, the Big J birthday party. It was packed like they were giving out free ass. Everyone was there fighting to get drinks. There was unique people. Legion of Skanks fans, if you're not familiar they're wonderful comedy fans, but they all look like they're holding drugs and weapons. And that's probably the truth. They probably are. But they are nice people, but they also look like they can beat the shit out of you. And it was wonderful night. And inside the little Pope mobile downstairs by the bar, they're doing the live podcast, and I'm having a drink pontificating trying to be a hotshot, probably looking to see if I could hook up with someone. I'll be transparent with you. It was a night off. Have fun, everybody. And all of a sudden, the door opens. You hear people go, and a stench comes over. And Ari Shafir had sent them a Big J gift that he opened up, and it was shit. Look, I don't necessarily condone that, want that, or want that smell to stay in my head like it has all these years. But it was fucking dangerous. And the only place that could have happened is the creek in the cave. Danger. It's nice to know there's still a little bit of menace in comedy. And the creek allowed that menace to be there. So many wonderfully produced shows. See you in hell with Matt Wayne. Where they would have you do stand up and they would fuck with you. And you have to do it with a specific thing going on, a certain version of hell. All kinds of unique shows. Pat Dixon had a show where he hosted and there was burlesque and bacon. Burlesque show with bacon bar. That was part of it. You perform in between burlesque dancers and there was a bar that people were serving bacon and bacon drinks. It was insanity. It felt like you had crossed over to hell in the 50s. And hell in the 50s was where you wanted to be. That was something. This is what it was about. I've seen crazy shows. Joe List got sober after years of drinking. Threw a party late night on a Saturday that was no stand-up. It was just a dance party. He dressed up like he was fucking Chubby Checker himself. I was a guest judge. Thomas Dale, Mark Norman with judges. We went around and tapped people on the shoulder. You made the next round and people got excited. We gave ribbons 
I think someone won 50 bucks and a free drink. And people had the time of their lives. No one wanted to leave because of a hard week of trying to get on stage. A lot of young comics eating checks, going on the road, getting punched in the mouth, being denied by bookers all week. Hearing your exes talk shit about you on a podcast. Might be some truth there, people. And we all let our hair, figure of hair, down by dancing at, at a comedy venue and having drinks and laughs. It was a magical night. As silly as it is, only place you could have done that is the creek in the cave. This place booked me and made me feel welcome when I didn't think I was. I always felt I was too mainstream, hacky, even too weird for that place. I thought that people thought I was just some road guy or club comic who didn't do jokes and yelled a lot. Which when I went by the moniker Mad Dog, that was me. And Rebecca would never let me not be involved. Hey, we got this spot. You should come do Creek Cave Live. Come do it. I thought this was some hipster, like the the indie, the Brooklyn indie band of comedy. It just happened to be in Long Island City in Queens. I thought they were like the Mumford and Sons of comedy. I was like, oh, they're not going to accept me. I think I performed there once and everyone looked too cool for school. And I'm like, fuck that. I was like, all right, maybe Rebecca... And I think uh, we agreed on a day and then I canceled or she, whatever. And then finally it's like, hey, we'll feed you and pay you. That's all the fuck I had to hear. I still had a day job. I was struggling. I was like, you're going to feed me? Holy shit. And give me 25 bucks on a Wednesday? ba 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 So I went. I ate a goddamn shrimp taco. Tasted like a hug. I went perform. I did fine. I was sandwiched between, I believe, like Ted Alexandro and Sam Morrell. And there was... Wonderful heavy hitters there. Jessica Kirsten might have even been on the lineup. Sean Patton. Just, they booked amazing acts. And it was a lot of the club acts with a sprinkling of what you would call the alt or the indie comedy scene. And it was cool. And I did fine. I didn't crush, but I did my thing. Rebecca wanted me there and it meant the world to me. And I get done and I'm leaving. I'm about to go home. I was living in that time in Inwood up in Upper Manhattan with the great Mike Vecchio, and I'm walking with Sam Morrell, who had a wonderful set because he's just a textbook amazing comic, and I get the call that I've been dreading, but I did not think was ha- would happen when I'm performing at the Creek. My grandfather passed away, the man who raised me. He'd been sick for a year, hadn't been himself, couldn't really talk or emote. He had passed, and it fucking hit me. I took the call, and... I got emotional. I think my eyes got a little wet. And Sam's like, what's going on? And I go, my pops just passed. He's like, oh shit, what are you going to do? Like, I'm going to go in and have a drink. He goes, fuck it, I am too. I believe he was on his way into Manhattan to do a spot. He canceled the spot or told him he'd be late. And he sat next to me and calmed me down as I drank. And Rebecca found out. She told the bartender to give me whatever the fuck I wanted. And she told people what happened and told them to keep an eye on me. Pat Dixon, who is a man I've had great moments with, I've had not so great moments. We've been up and down as friends. I believe we're good now. I don't think we're on the best terms that night. But that night he sat with me and was as human as I could ever seen. And I thank Pat and I thank Rebecca. I thank Sam. I thank the bartenders. I thank everyone who was there. The Creek wanted you to feel like you're a part of something. 
Misfit fucking toys. Yes, I just lost family. And maybe the only motherfucker I ever cared about. And a night like that where I lost family, I got reminded I have more. I have an extended family. I don't see these people every day. I don't work with them every day. I might not agree with everything that comes out of any of their mouths. And the same with them towards me. But in that moment, they were there for a fellow comic. And that's what the creek was. You could go there when shit was breaking. And you could find someone who would share that moment with you. Oh, man, comedies treat me like shit. Oh, yeah, comedies treat me like shit, too. Oh, man, things are going good. Yeah, things are all right with me, too. Tell me about it. Isn't this exciting? Oh, man, my family's fucked up. My family's fucked up. And you should know, my family's fucked up and my girl left me. Holy shit, that happened to me three weeks ago. You could find someone. It was a puzzle. You could fit in anywhere and relate. That was the beauty. You had a place you could go. You could take the 7 train and get off in Vernon and Jacksonville. Jack, Vernon and Jackson and find people to talk to that reminded you that you're in this together. You're not the only one going through the journey. We will miss you, Creek in the Cave. We will miss this. We will miss the wonderful Mindy Tucker pictures on the wall that I remember being very disappointed that I wasn't on more. I was on one. One in the restaurant area. I have a tattoo, a Buddhist circle, where I'm supposed to bury my ego. This tattoo, is you take your ego and put it in here. I got that from the great Gary Shandling. It was on the back of his neck. When I was having a midlife crisis, I watched the documentary that Judd Apatow so wonderfully put out. And I go, yes, that's what it's about. Bury the ego. Live in the moment. And here I was. I didn't have the tattoo then, but I remember looking on the wall going, oh, where am I? And an ex-girlfriend at the time, who barely did stand-up, I think. I think she did a couple shows a week. All over the fucking place. Really was salt in the goddamn womb. I had to deal with it. I was very upset, but I realized that this is part of the business. I didn't hang out there enough. I didn't work there enough. It wasn't my scene. And then I went to the bathroom. As I'm standing there about to do my business, I look up and I see a huge bald cranium with a shaggy, shitty beard. And it's my bald cranium with a shaggy, shitty beard. And my hand in the air next to it, very pretentious light. Like I was about to do a Shakespearean monologue and I'm wearing a leather jacket. Because apparently I wanted to really relate to the audience that day. Like I'm in a goddamn biker gang. And someone had written on my bald head, We get it! With exclamation points. I laughed so hard I think I pissed all over the floor. Whoopsie. And I loved it. What a fitting place for my dumb head to be. Right when you do your business and someone writing and putting me in check, taking the piss out of me while they're pissing. Mm-hmm. I will miss that at the creek. That place would also remind you to be humbled. You could go on stage and get your teeth knocked out at any moment. Just straight up. You could feel really good about your career and things are going on. I've had it happen. I've seen it happen to people bragging about the deal they just had. Oh, the meeting they just had with an agent or a network. And then go up there, play basically to their peers or a couple people and fucking feel like they were the worst act in the world. It reminded you to stay hungry and focused and humbled. Humbled. I've been humbled. I've gone there with victories. I've gone there and drank with my old friend Tim Warner who I've given cousin status with. 
who worked there, who lived above. On a Saturday, I'd just been cast in a show, a pilot with my dear roommates at the time, Greg Stone, Anthony DeVito, brilliant comedians. I've talked about them before on the show. I will talk about them again. And I sat there and drank with Tim Warner, telling him how I had been cast with those gentlemen. And my dear friend, Benji Sesswin, who was the booker at Stand Up New York at the time, somehow got clumped in with us and we got cast for a pilot called Drunken Ghost Hunters. Now, it never came to be, but it felt like a victory. I felt like an outsider for years. Never felt like the business wanted me. Like I just said, I didn't feel like the creek wanted me or alt comedy or indie comedy or the cool kids or whatever. This was a victory. I felt it. I wanted to have a drink with my friend and listen to music. The bartenders always blared metal and cool shit. And we're always great conversationalists and wonderful listeners. And Tim and I are drinking brown water and I'm having fun. I feel like my career is about to take off after all these fucking years. I just wanted 30 minutes. And someone who I'll remain nameless because this isn't a positive story. Someone who at that time wasn't cool with me or Tim. And he said something shitty. And I see, saw Tim got a little pissed. He's like, yeah, this guy likes to run his beak to me. And I go, yeah, he likes to run his beak to me, too. I don't fucking like it. And I walked to him, and I could see Tim's eyes. And I just went up to the dude, and I'm going to try not to say his name while telling the story. But I got upset because here was my moment. I just, and I wasn't bragging to anyone. It was just me and Tim. But I just want to have a moment. But this guy humbled me. But I wasn't ready to be humbled that night. And I go, hey, man, let me ask you a question. When you got out of, out of the military, were you, um, did you go straight into comedy? He's like, what? Uh, I didn't go to the military. Really? Oh, but you're so disciplined up there. Do, do you feel that your years of martial arts training has helped you with your discipline as a comic? Martial arts? What are you? And at that point, this guy who runs his mouth a lot, I saw two brothers, two friends having a good moment and wanted to just be a dick. Guy just ran his mouth casually, with no repercussions, just realized that I was sizing him the fuck up. And I'm not a tough person, I will tell you that, straight-eyed. But I've been in a lot of fights, and I'm still standing, everyone. And if you don't have martial arts or military training, I'll take my chances. Quit his sentence telling me he never did martial arts, ran to the pinball machine, and 20 minutes later, I looked around, he was gone, the Irish goodbye. Hey everyone, it's me, PJ, from the Face Beats Heels High podcast, a podcast where three women talk about the weekly happenings of the WWE. You know, wrestling? Come on, let's count, count, count! So join me and my co-hosts, Christina the Baker Contreras and our Twitch queen, Wild Spice, as we talk all things WWE every Tuesday. We're actors, we drink, we're funny, we're wrestling fans, and we're available on the Paper House Network. That's an example of me being humbled and then me humbling someone. That place would do it, but it's also the excitement and the craziness and the beautiful madness that could happen at comedies, CBGBs, The Creek and the Cave. That venue had many auditions for Just for Last. People got their break and got their chance to go to Montreal through that venue. Only, 
only non-traditional comedy club to have these auditions. Always in the middle of the week. It was something great. Great shows where their industry went there because they didn't want to deal with clubs. It felt more hip and interesting and modern. And they'd go there and hang in Long Island City, trendy Long Island City. And they would have tacos because the Mexican food was delightful there. And fresh guacamole. If you never had it, mm, I feel for you, my friends. But this is where the toys went. This is where we went. It was always there for you. I was barely there in the last few years, and I felt bad about it. And I took bookings for Creek Cave Live, and most of them at the end, unfortunately, got canceled because there wasn't enough audience in that. But I'll tell you this. I turned down other gigs those days. In the past, I would cancel on the creek to do paid spots, but I was doing okay. And I wanted to support and go back to that place because I love what Rebecca has done for comedy. I always enjoyed her company at the JFL Festival. I always tend to drink with her the first night and usually the last night, the Saturday. Sometimes I stayed to work on Sunday, but everyone else leaves on Sunday morning. So that Saturday night felt like the last hurrah. I always just ended up seem to hang with her, have drinks, and talk about our passion. I love that venue because that venue was there because it loved comedy. When I moved to New York in 06, that, I don't know when she purchased the venue, but it was a music venue. They did comedy once a week. They did a huge open mic. I believe John F. O'Donnell hosted it. And, oh my God, the list would fill up. Fucking, it felt like noon that day. Packed with comics. You couldn't get on. It, it seemed a little clickish to me. And so I had a bit of a stand-up vibe to it, as I said. She eventually turned it into a full-time venue. Why? Didn't know this till years later. Rebecca was a musical theater person. Loved comedy. As I collected rock albums, she collected comedy albums going up. She loves this business. And this podcast, this show, is for people who love the business. Who love passion towards anything and her passion towards comedy and giving a venue to young acts to establish acts to have unique shows weekly shows produce shows chances for people to be different express themselves that passion is gone now and hopefully we find somewhere else there'll be another place eventually it won't be the same but i hope when you find that place you fucking appreciate it in the moment because we all take these things for granted the exodus is here. People are leaving New York and L.A. for Nashville and Austin and Atlanta and rural PA and wherever the fuck. But in that Who song that I quoted in an episode that will never hear the light of day, Roger Daltrey sang it, Pete Townsend penned it. The exodus is here, but I will be walking near. As long as this show is available to you, 4 p.m. Eastern on Mondays, and whenever you want to listen to it. As venues close, as cities dry up in their scenes, this will still be here. 
I will be walking near. Rebecca will end up somewhere in this industry. She will be walking near. There are other people who are going to open a venue when things open up again that will eventually become the place where you hang out and can be a comic and fly that fucked up freak flag and show all your warts and be a comic and find fellow minds to bitch about what's going on and to celebrate what's going on in this business and with you. They are walking near. We are in a shift, but that's all it is, is a shift. It is a shame, though, and that's why we still have to give tribute and love and have this funeral for a friend, a venue, a venue that was there for us, that bought me drinks after my grandfather died, a place that gave me a... a, an avenue to express myself at the toughest time of my life. I had horrible OCD. Eventually, I would probably open up about the specifics of it, but it was an ongoing struggle that led me to therapy for a year and a half, two years to get through it. And I lost a wonderful girlfriend over it. I could barely leave my house at times. I was incredibly close to self-harm, I can tell you that. I was at a pure crossroads of things. It was horrible. And Rebecca, once again, wouldn't let me not be a part of something. I was invited to be on the dais of the Nate Bergazzi roast. Now, I came up with Nate in New York City. We used to do Dustin Chaffin's Uncensored show at the Broadway Comedy Club, formerly the New York Improv on 53rd and 8th. I've discussed that show before as a breeding ground for so much beautiful talent. Dustin just brought in all these future heavy hitters, and a lot of these cats now I hadn't been as in touch with, and a lot of them have passed me by, to be quite blunt. I was a toe-in at the clubs, doing some road work, but my life was falling apart, and they were these cats were passed at the cellar, and were getting half hours and TV spots and opportunities and big management, and here I am in shambles as a person and barely holding on as a performer. I was getting passed by, but Rebecca wouldn't let me. She put me on this dais. I went second to last before Joe List, who, of course, tore the room apart. There was buckets of booze and people were drinking. I really wasn't drinking at that time because of my mental state, but I think I had a drink or two and a couple Red Bulls. And I had a few jokes I wrote and a few jokes written by the great Greg Stone, who I was living with, Greg and Anthony DeVito. And Greg was in the audience and he looked at me nervously. He was sending me some jokes too. People were zinging me and he could see I was taking it personal, which I shouldn't, but I felt like an outsider. I felt like I was a forgotten boy. And it was real. And me and Giannis, Giannis uh, Pappas was the roast master. We have had a um, up and down relationship a lot of times in our life. I can be honest about that. Um, We are cool now. I don't think we were at the best part then. And so I felt like I wanted to show him something. I just had a lot of anger, confusion, and sadness. And I think I was supposed to go earlier. And just like everything else, I was forgotten. And they almost brought Joe List on to close. And Joe was still drinking then. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, because Joe was closing. So he pointed at me. I don't even think I got like a real intro. I was like, oh, the, the forgotten boy is about to come up. And I went up there and I did like a, I'm gonna be quite blunt. I don't know how original it was. It was me, but I was influenced by Pat Cooper. If you've ever seen Pat Cooper on the Drew Carey roast, I'm sure you can find that clip on YouTube or you read about his um, exploits closing the roasts back in the day before they were televised. I basically went into that. I did a few jokes 
that Greg sent me and a few of my own. And I just kind of took the piss out of everything with real energy, real disappointment in life, anger, and passion. And I crushed. And once again, I don't like to say that I did it, but I crushed. I did my fucking thing, and it felt great. And I had drinks, and my ex-girlfriend was there, and future ex-girlfriends were there. I met them that night. People in the business who'd never talked to me before were being nice to me. Felt like a huge weight was off my shoulders. I felt a part of something. I went home, felt great, and had a fucking panic attack. <laughs> you always be humbled. And I woke up the next day and Giannis reached out and said, you, you showed a lot to a lot of people last night. Just like your coming out party, Bubbas. We're proud of you. It, I still wasn't out of that hole but being invited to be at that venue reminded me that I was a part of something. That's the beauty of that place. That was the beauty of it. A forgotten toy, a lost misfit toy, a place to go. It was magic. Joe Liss got sober, had a dance party. All these wonderful things happened there that were unique. It was a place to take chances. It was a place to truly be yourself. It was a place to find common ground. And I will miss it. And I regret that I didn't go there more, but my path was my path. You know, there's another tattoo on me, a Morfati. It was a Nietzsche quote, which, you know, you should be over Nietzsche by eighth grade. I didn't discover him until 30, so whatever. Amor fati, the love of fate. We all have free will. We all have decisions to make. But that decision you made, you were supposed to make. And leads you to make your future decisions. My path led me to this. To telling you about how I wish I would have spent more time there. And that I wish you all would have spent more time at the creek. And I hope that we find a place as special as that. And I hope you appreciate it. And I hope you keep working hard. And I hope if you have a chance to help someone in this business and make them feel a little less alone, that you can do that. Because that's what the creek did. Big time shows, small shows, empty shows. I hosted On the Road every Monday with Nori Davis and Andrew Short. We couldn't do that show anywhere else. I hosted, Nori would show up 30 minutes late, say I want to do five minutes, did 25, it was his show. We would each book two people blind. There'd be road comics who are offensive and there'd be really woke comics and there would be really chill comics and all working together and it usually worked great. And Andrew Short would be in the booth and while I'm hosting would comment like he was the voice of God with me. And that made up sometimes the fact that we'd have three civilians or five civilians and seven comics in the back. But it felt special for a year, year and a half. And the only place that would let us do that experimental weird show was fucking the creek in the cave. And that's one of the reasons we will miss you. And yes, it could be cruel at times. And yes, that could be too, too hip, too, too cool for school bullshit with audiences and I'd yell or whatever. But God damn it, when you captured lightning in a bottle there, it was great. When you go to Wildcats and see Eli and Joel 
and Russell Smith do this wonderfully chaotic show like they're a modern day Marx Brothers meets Jackass, this crazy chaos where they let you do stand-up and they come out there and do the most offensive sketches and variety show ever and the energy through the roof felt like a 90s ECW arena show. That was magic. When Anthony DeVito did his album there, two sold-out shows, and I got to do warm-up. And you see Comedy Central recording there and full of people there and everyone fighting to get in. That was a happening. And I missed Greg's, Greg Stone's recording. But it was magic. You hear of all these magical moments. We did benefits for people there. Raised money for the great Eric Bergstrom. He used to sleep on our couch. Then when he finally moved out, had cancer. It was a beautiful night. There were, everyone did short sets and raised money and drank for him. Our community came together. The broken toys came together for another toy that just happened to be a little more broken. That happened at the creek. Every Thanksgiving, this is coming out, this episode Thanksgiving week, she, Rebecca, would open the fucking doors for anyone who had nowhere to go and feed you. That's what our community is about. You will be missed Creek in the Cave. I hope there's another venue that can do something similar when things open up again, but it will never be the same. And we will love you forever. The exodus is here, but Rebecca's walking near. This pod is walking near. These memories are walking near. This business is walking near. You will not be forgotten. There will be a place for us. I really appreciate you all listening to this pod. And maybe this was a little self-serving. Maybe it wasn't necessary. Maybe if you don't live in New York City, you don't care. But a lot of you love comedy and a lot of you have heard of The Creek. This was something to be discussed. You might not have been at the Cotton Club or CBGB's or Max's, Kansas City, or the, or the, the Caravan, the Cavern, sorry, that the Beatles played. This was magic, and it needs to be documented. There will be books. There will be movies. There will be specials, whatever. People will want to tell you this. There's a reason why the Victor Vernados kept coming and hanging out. There's a reason why Sean Patton would hang out and Nick Turner. This was a special place where people came up, where people came to hang out, where people came back. This is a place where people came. This is a place where people hooked up. Some wild hookup stories. It was whatever you needed it to be at the time. Sometimes it was just a nice place to get a Shrimp and spinach salad. Mm-mm-mm. There was a lot of amazing things done in that back room in the podcast studio. Last podcast on the left started there. I had a Guns N' Roses podcast with Tim Warner where we interviewed a Guns N' Roses cover band. All-female cover band. It's fucking decadent night. It wasn't always perfect, and it never will be. Stop harping on the bad moments. You can acknowledge them. But when I see people write the bad shit, just like they did with Dangerfields, get over yourself. Nothing's going to be perfect. If everything was perfect, nothing would be special. The bad moments remind you why the good moments are good. Warts and all. The warts make you realize how beautiful something that without the warts is. 
Man, I really appreciate you all listening. I really love you all. I really appreciate the commission. You checking in every Monday. This will be your place. You could come be a misfit. You could write to me, commissionercombi at gmail.com. Be that misfit toy. Tell me that you don't like what I'm saying. Tell me you agree with it. Whatever. Let's just be heard. Give us suggestions for topics. Give us suggestions for bonus content. I know a lot of you want to help out. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do it. We're going to give you something for not really getting any suggestions. So let's get some suggestions. Topics for, for shows. We have a couple questions coming up next week. So check that out. Finally, I'm opening the mailbag. God damn it. Mad love to Nick Angelo for his production. Support him online. Support Paper House Network. Support MDMD, our wonderful house band who does the music before and after that you hear. Support JSS1 who does the artwork for this podcast who's spectacular. So please, support. We have a wonderful sponsor coming soon. Next week or two, please sponsor. If it works for you, buy a little. It'll get a kickback to us and we'll appreciate it. Support your fellow comics that you love, the people you enjoy if you can. If not, support yourself first. Charity does start at home. I know it's tough times. Thank you all for caring about comedy. Thank you for coming here to hear stories and to hear the code and the passion about this. And know that it is important what we do. And it is important that there's a place to go to talk about it. A haven. The Creek in the Cave was a haven. We will, we will miss you. You are gone but not forgotten. The exodus is here, but God damn it, we'll be walking near.